In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skilful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared Captain of the Golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Okay, Colin, we are back with our 10th episode already. I can't believe it's already been 10 episodes here of the Silver Club podcast. So cool, huh? I love what you're doing. I love I've they couldn't more timely. Um, it is it's these are fun to do with you, Steve. Well, it's, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, no, this is uh, it, it is fun talking golf all day long, and we can do it. But, but catch us up. What's what's going on in the world of of Colin Sheehan and and Yale men's golf? And uh, you had a big victory recently. It was exciting. Um, this is the month of April. Is, is this is this is the uh, major season for us? I took um, I took the lads down to Princeton on Friday. It was freezing cold it was it was barely tolerable tolerable for the practice round but uh two days of gorgeous weather and the kids played like men possessed we set a new all-time 54 hole scoring record in relation to par they shot 23 under par we beat uh one by 14 strokes over the next team pennsylvania they played great and um we had uh, this fabulous duo these two sophomores uh, Paul Stanky shot 11 under par and won the tournament. Um, two better, two two better than his teammate and classmate Teddy Zinsner, who shot nine under par, who was solo second. Uh, those two together s- submitted six counting scores, all under par for a combine for for a combined total of 20 under par of our 23 under That's par. Phenomenal, so. phenomenal, great coaching, great coaching. <laughs> so, <laughs> Steve, you're gonna love this. So. For years, the kids have been pestering me. They they want a pin on, in the swale on, on the Beeritz hole at Yale, the ninth hole, the, the sort of the famous par three over the water with the with the feature. Sure, and, sure. You know, people always ask, "Has anyone ever has a, does a pin ever put in there?" And I'm like, "No, that'd be ridiculous." And I've and I've always brushed it off, saying, "There's no way." And finally, you know, they they after they wore me down. I said, "I'll I'll make a deal with you guys. You guys win the Princeton Invitational. You can get a pin." in the swale for one of the two rounds of the Yale spring invitational. And yeah. And what did they do? They went out and set the all time scoring record. You got to motivate them, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the job. You you get them, get them at their best and trying to figure out uh, what, what, what pushes them along. I mean, what's I wonder what you're going to, how you're going to motivate them, uh, you know, from, from here on forward. So I was a skeptic by the way, about the pin. And we, yesterday we, the greenskeeper graciously cut a, cut a hole in the swale for us and uh, four of us went out and played and and we couldn't wait to get to the ninth hole like there was a serious anticipation like we're all we we thought that there would be like we're all going to have a hole in one and what's interesting and after having played it yesterday is that it's it's a lot harder than you think to intentionally get it in the swale and and there's a very specific line if you if you miss anywhere left it's going to release low and and actually only one of the four of us hit it uh, hit in the swale and he was a foot and a half away but um, this is going to be some seriously exciting stuff this weekend we have 10 teams coming in we're playing we have about 72 golfers 
We're playing play six, count five, an unusual uh, format, a cool. historic I like I like college it. format. But um, the kids are in not just the uh, the Yale golfers, but everybody in the field should be so excited for the afternoon round uh, for a chance to, to sort of play the ninth hole in one or two strokes. Um, there's almost more pressure to hit it close than ever. And it's, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun. I'll, 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 I can't wait to see how it works out. I'll enjoy uh, reporting on it. And, uh, I feel like I should get a, a crew down from uh, ESPN in Bristol to come down for the day and interrupt live coverage every time a golfer uh, is teeing <laughs> off on that. <laughs> yeah, you should have, uh, yeah, you should have a live feed from there, like all day, throw a camera up in a tree or something. And, uh, yeah, somebody could make a one. That's a huge uh, Buritz slope in the middle of in the middle of that green at Yale. If anybody out there has played it, uh, the architecture at Yale is is off the charts, and the ninth hole is amazing. And uh, and yeah, hopefully somebody makes a one. Get that on Sports Center. Uh, top play of the day, too cool. But but another top play of the day really was, uh, and it's happened on Saturday. Augusta National. We have to go back. Jennifer Cupshow, Maria Fossey battled head to head in the Augusta National Women's Amateur. And uh, incidentally, if you haven't listened to our podcast with Jennifer, we, uh, we had her on recently uh, just before the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Uh, great insight. Check that out on our uh, and all of our, our social media areas and, and on iTunes, Stitcher, all the outlets. Uh, but, but Jennifer Cupshow, she created a following really now, and, and Maria Fossey and did just did great stuff for the women's game shooting 500 par 31 on the back nine was uh, was really spectacular finish to that event at, at augusta national amazing for all the hype when does something with that much anticipation deliver and you know in an equal measure like um it was incredible like all the drama great augusta is so blessed with a back nine that we're all so familiar with and that that allows for the sort of scoring opportunities there i mean what was going through your mind watching it steve uh it was just it was historic for me and the fact that learning afterwards how she had a headache or migraine for that matter not not just a headache but uh she her vision was blurry for a few holes there uh, she missed a short putt on the 10th hole and then uh, just totally put it on Maria Fossey, uh, making eagle on 13. And then Fossey birdies 14. And then Cupshow slings a hybrid around the trees, over the water on 15, makes birdie. Birdie 16, uh, and then closes it out in style like a champion on 18 with a birdie as well. Uh, just spectacular. I mean, she was, she was down by two going into 13, and she ends up winning by four. And, uh, you know... Uh, did, did you see they were on the Tonight Show and the Today Amazing. Show? They were they were spreading love I everywhere. It. I watched it both this morning. It was beautiful and and this and what we all know about the game. But I'm loving that golf is getting this this bump for their sportsmanship and their camaraderie on the course. And they couldn't they couldn't be better ambassadors for the game. Like uh, hats off, like bravo to all who made the, that event happen in the first place. And then tip of the cap to the beautiful golf they played and everybody in the field. And just the amount of just joy that spread was just, was incredible. Loved it. I can't, I can't wait for next year. Well, who's next? Where, when are we going to have, uh, 
what else can we have at Augusta National, right? I mean, yeah, they've got the, go. the dry chip a... and putt the next day. <laughs> You've got now we got the Masters this week, and we have to talk about the Masters. I mean, we could talk hours upon hours about the Masters and Augusta National, everything that surrounds this week. But but really, this is the this is the start of the golf season, essentially, right here and now. Uh, spring in Augusta, it, it doesn't get any better than this. Here we go. How many? How many? There's a, a tidal wave of storylines here, starting with Rory on a mission to close out the Grand Slam. That's exciting. Tiger back, uh, you know, ready to ready to resume his, to sort of maybe tack on another major after all these years, after over a decade. All the other great players, all the international golfers, just. I, you know, this is it. This is my, as my friend Dave Denunzio said, this is the week I'm at my most golf nerd. You know, this is, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't absorb and consume enough golf content and media. You know, a couple of things though, I, I have to ask you, what's the amateur dinner like? What's going on this week there? What, what are your recollections of that experience? Oh my goodness. Yeah. They, they, I mean, the week for amateurs, first of all, they, they treat you it's like a they, they the amateur dinner on Monday evening is like a it's like a, a pep rally for the amateurs. It's a uh, I mean when I was there back in '97, I, I was fortunate enough to play uh, Charlie Coe. I sat next to Charlie Coe at dinner and and you know talking about his 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 amateur stories and his his play over the Masters. I mean he was the uh, the best amateur player uh, ever. He, he sets all the the uh, amateur records at Augusta. Uh, he was really, really cool and interesting to talk to, uh, you know, just to just to be there and to, you know, I mean, to dine at Augusta National and to sleep in the crow's nest and to to, you know, they even gave me a, a brand new white Cadillac for the week to drive down Magnolia Lane. It was it was spectacular. I, I you know, I don't know if it was legal, but <laughs> but uh, I did it. So it was great. <laughs> right. Right. So they didn't they didn't let you keep it. No, um, no, no, no. What? Uh, who did you play some of your practice rounds with? Uh, my practice rounds were were off the charts. I played with Justin Leonard. Uh, you know, about six months after he won the Open Championship over at Troon, um, I played with Jack Nicklaus on Tuesday. Uh, you may have heard of him, and I played with Greg Norman and Steve Elkington. And it was the year right after Norman's collapse, and uh, you know, it, it was it was really a spectacular practice round. Uh, and I, I basically I wrote all of them a letter uh, asking them. This is in you know, the days before emails and and all that, and and wrote each and one each of them a letter, and they uh, they obliged me with a practice round. They wrote back. I saved the letters. Um, I have them framed in my house. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it it was very cool. And I ended up playing with Fuzzy Zeller in the first round, and I played with Bob Tway in the second round. I played crummy. I, I missed the cut, but I've never had such a great time playing poorly. Right. So I, you hear all these these stories about the sort of amateurs playing with the veterans and and sort of gleaming insights. What were the were these legends like actively? Well, I want to ask you about I'd ask I could go ask you about each of them. But first, you have to be, tell me about your round with Nicholas. But and, and the types of things they were sharing with you. I'm very curious. What other sport does this happen? Were 
people the day before the competition begins are out there helping each other understand the venue. That's just one of the most beautiful parts of this game. It was it was the coolest afternoon. And, and actually, in the front nine, we were also paired with the British amateur champion at the time, a, a gentleman named Warden Bladen. And for some reason on the ninth green, we're walking off the ninth green, and and he he went to us. He said, "Hey guys, I'm kind of tired. I've got. To, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bail out on the back nine for whatever reason. I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, I went out there with Nicholas on the back nine, and it was just him and I. Late in on the Tuesday afternoon, beautiful, beautiful just a, a beautiful evening, really, uh, to to play golf, uh, let alone play with you know one of the two greatest players of all time and a man who's won six green jackets and he would go on the following year 98 to actually finish tied for fifth in the event so uh it was just spectacular he was like a, a like a grandpa out there to me really at the time i mean i was 19 years old and and uh, he was just guiding me all around i think my favorite story really was on the ninth green i'd hit my the pin was middle right and i'd hit my approach on the back terrace and i've got this downhill lightning fast uh, 30 footer at least and I'm looking at the putt a little bit, and I'm thinking, okay, it has to break six inches left to right. You know, everything just kind of said that to my eye. And he comes up to me, he says, he says, Steve, you got to play this six inches right to left. And I said, no way. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I said that, but, you know, because he's got more, green, <laughs> way more green jackets than all of us combined. But, and so I said, okay. So I play it six inches right to left. So a total opposite read of what I thought. Lo and behold, it goes down the hill, picks up speed goes right in the middle of the hole. The, the, the crowd erupts as they might in a practice round, you know, as loud as they could be. And, and I just kind of looked at him and I shook my head. I'm like, that's why you're Jack Nicholas. Was it ra- the race Creek effect or to- totally? I, I, you know, those greens are some of the hardest greens to read. And, uh, you know, the, the, the two ladies who played in the, uh, uh, Augusta national women's Am, you know, with Jennifer Cupsher, she actually took, a local caddy, and I don't believe Maria Fossey did. And you know that might have played uh, that might have played into the results because I think those greens are so difficult to read. They're so fast. You you have to match the line and the speed as well as you have to anywhere in golf. And uh, it, it was just it's a spectacular venue. The green complexes are just they're just that they are complex. Who is on your bag? I, I had my now my bride Christy Christy uh, it was Christy Hummel uh, now Christy Scott she played collegiately she's an LPGA uh, teaching professional we married uh, going on twenty years this year but you know I, I kind of locked her down back then you know I I got I got her to caddy for me at the Masters so she thought she couldn't think that I was too bad so <laughs> I mean listen nineteen years old you've got your future wife caddying for you you're playing the Masters in a practice round with Jack Nicholas. Spend four hours with greatest professional golfer of all time. I mean, you were you were like Alexander the Great with at nineteen with no more worlds left to conquer. You had it, it, you that is one of the all time great experiences in golf. Like I don't know, I don't know anybody else with a story that great, Steve. Well, I hope you, I hope you, I hope you remind yourself of that from time to time. <laughs> that type of story you could just oh casually mention that I played Augusta as a teenager with Jack Nicholas. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it, I still pinch myself thinking of it. I mean, to play with him and, you know, with and against Tiger Woods uh in my lifetime, hey, you know, I I, I think I've uh, you know, I've I've hit the mountaintop and and I've I've done uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot in the game, but but that was, you know, playing in the Masters and and 
And because not many people get to do that, even if you're a tour player, you know, you make the PGA Tour, there's no guarantee you're going to play in the Masters. So, you know, it was a, a very fortunate time. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I peaked early. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You you reached the mountaintop is what you did. So, I mean, what is golf? What is golf? owe any anyone. Right. Does it does it owe a, a lifetime career? If you get into this game, this this beautiful 500 year old sport and you get to you, you're already blessed when you get to play it. You're doubly blessed when you get to get really good at it. And then you get to sort of play at a level that's in the top one tenth of one percent or wherever are you're splitting hairs. And then you get to sort of play with people against Tiger and with Jack and a lifetime of friendships, you know, and with a, a beautiful wife and family, uh, you're doing all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Colin. That's, that's very nice of you to say. Steve, tonight's the uh, champion's dinner. And of course, you know, the menu is set by the uh, defending champ. I think I hear um, Patrick Reed's has some sort of bone in ribeye and, and uh, Caesar salad and stuff. But um, it had, it, you know, had you, uh, I always love to ask people, I love food as much as I love golf. What, uh, your master's champion, it's the following year. You're setting the menu. What's your master's champion's dinner menu? Ooh, I'm really hungry. So uh, to think about that, well, let's see. I, I, I like to go backwards and start with dessert. So I would go with a nice key lime pie. That's kind of my weakness. Um, I, I mean, you can't go wrong with a, you know, with a surf and turf sort of thing. Uh, I, I think I would have to go along those lines. Um, I don't know. Whatever you'd get in a really nice steakhouse, I think that would probably be where I would go down. Then you'd have to throw maybe some sort of, you know, southern, uh, you know, biscuits and gravy in there, maybe just to kind of make you feel like you're in the south. Uh, and definitely some sweet tea. You got to have sweet tea in the in Georgia. So I would throw all those things in the mix. I think. How about you? I'd have to I'd have to give a shout out to my New England sort of roots. There'd be some some clam chowder. Sort of, I'm thinking like a lobster clam bake thing with with uh, corn on the cob, red potatoes. Throw in a little, maybe maybe uh, an appetizer course of some New Haven thin crust coal oven pizza and some. I would, I'd finish it off with uh, cheesecake from from the Bronx SNS cheesecake. That would be. That'd be my meal. All right, all right. You are you are making me hungry. So uh, yeah, that's that's that would be a, a nice problem to have to have a. Uh, do you think you get stuck with a bill, or do they pick it up there at Augusta? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a pretty it'd be, hefty, a pretty hefty <laughs> bill to fly down all those, uh, you know, the New England clam chowder and all that. And uh, oh I yeah, I remember. Ben Crenshaw flew in a team from Austin, and they did to serve brisket, like the famous sort of Austin barbecue. Uh, you know, restaurant guys came in like that's to me. I, I think I think it's I think it's imperative for the past champion to to sort of really go over the top in their effort. Um, you know, that's you got to have fun with it. You don't know how many times you get to do it. Yeah, probably not not too often. I know there's a lot of a lot of players out there that would love to uh, get their uh, get their chance on on setting the Masters uh, champions dinner the following year, but. Uh, who, who would be your pick if you had one pick? And let's just close it out by this: if you had one pick this week, who would it be, and why? <sighs> I'm. I think it's a European, and I'm gonna. There's. 
I'm going to say, I can, you know, I have to. Come on, spit th- it out, spit it out. All right, I'm committing. I, I, it's an, it's, it's just too, it's too easy. But I, I feel like Rory's ready to do it. He's in a, he's in a good place, and he's playing well. And I think he's come around to, he's, he's a, he's, he's come around to the, he's evolved to the state that he's in, where he's, he, he sort of, he, he reached the top, fell from it, and he's nearly there. And a Masters win is going to just be the, be the sort of the statement of to be a career grand slam champion in his twenties. That's just, that's what he's, he's gone. I think he's going to be unstoppable. Yeah. I I would have to put him in my top three. I think another guy that's, uh, I think you have to be really, really smart to win at Augusta national. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau has got the high draw hits it plenty far, uh, very calculated player. I think Bryson, uh, I think he'll be in the mix. And I think Dustin Johnson, that kind of rounds out my three. So so McElroy, DeChambeau, and DJ, I think those are my three guys to uh, you know, to, to try to get it done. I'd I'd wager a lot of money on on those three right now. There you go. What's who's your dark horse? My dark horse. I don't know. I don't I, I don't think I don't think there's too many dark horses that are gonna win the Masters. I mean, there's uh, you know, a Danny Willett every once in uh, every twelve years or something, but uh a dark horse. I don't know. I, maybe you picked a guy, Corey Connors, who's, uh, you know, riding on cloud nine from his, his win last week, going from a Monday qualifier to a master's tea time on, on Thursday in, uh, in a matter of days. So uh, let's throw Corey Connors in there. There you go. I think Alex Norin, he's just, these guys are so good. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so, it's so insulting to a, a player who's like 10 in the world to call him a dark horse, but he's sort of a dark horse <laughs> in our, in our media land, American media landscape. You got it, Colin. We shall see who takes the Masters title this year. The four greatest days in golf, in my opinion. Just spectacular. Real quick, before we get to our guest, we couldn't have this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society, a great competitive amateur society for indexes 7.9 and below. We're having a host of tournaments all around the country this year. We're kicking off next week at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge with our Palmer 4-Ball. Check out everything we're doing on our website at silverclubgolfingsociety.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. Enjoy the Silver Club podcast taped on site from Augusta, Georgia. Okay, we are so glad to be joined by uh, somebody who's got some amazing stories about being in the caddy yard at Augusta National uh, none other than Trip Bowden. We are sitting actually in his father's uh, living room right now, yes, uh, surrounded by some uh, some of the greatest artifacts known to man. Beautiful pictures, pictures of Bobby Jones, Jack Nicholas, uh, Crystal from Augusta National. Trip Bowden, welcome to the Silver Club Podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Now, now we're here. We are live on the scene in Augusta, Georgia. So uh, we, we're at a we're at the party called the Pig Pole right now. Uh, it's an outpost Magical. and a Silver Club Golfing Society event at your father Doc Bowden's house uh, right here in Augusta. Really special time, a great gathering. We've got about a hundred people here tonight, uh, Tuesday night of Masters Week. Uh, but trip. Talk about growing up in Augusta first of all, and and you know, what is it like to grow up here? 
That's a great question because I'll give you a, probably a little answer that you may not be expecting. Um, we moved into this house when I was 10 years old, having moved from a neighborhood where I knew everyone to a neighborhood where I knew no one. And it was summertime, and I was mad as a wet hen because I didn't have my friends here. And along comes this guy uh, in a blue station wagon, and he knocks on the door. And he says, hey, man, it's Freddie. Is my doctor home? And it turned out it was Freddie Bennett, the caddy master at Augusta National, uh, where he was for over 40 years. And Freddie walks in and shakes my hand. It's the first handshake I remember. And he said, you must be Trip. I've heard all about you. And I'm thinking, what is there to know about me? And Pop comes rolling in. He's, hey, man, what's shaking? What's going on? And they start talking. So I sit back down at the kitchen table where I was having my dinner. And Pop said, no, no, you're coming with us. And us was into here, um, into Pop's office, and there used to be a bar behind you. And that was where Pop would Dr. Freddie check his blood pressure, say, you're going to live. You take as strong as a horse, pouring <laughs> three fingers of scotch, Chevis Regal. And Freddie would tell these stories about this wonderful club. And I was so far removed from the game of golf. I hated it, actually. My dad had given me a set of uh, Walter Hagen's first ever junior <laughs> set of golf uh, match clubs. Right. And I took them out in the street and whacked them to break them up best I could. So I wanted to kick a soccer ball and go fishing. In fact, I loved to fish. I was going to be the next Virgil Ward. And, well, Freddie's sitting there talking about this great club and all the great fishing that you can do out there. And I said, wow, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to go do that. And he said, well, that settles it. And we're going to go out tomorrow to the club. And I was so far removed from the game of golf to know he was talking about Augusta National Golf Club. So he said, we're going to go fishing at the club. And I'm so far removed from the game of golf, I don't even know what the club is. Of course, he's talking about the Augusta National Golf Club. And he picks me up the next morning. I've got my red Zebco rod and reel. And he says, no, man, you don't need that. It'll slow you down. I said, how's this going to slow me down? So I leave it at the house. Ends up we fish the par three pond with these cane poles. And we're pulling them in fast as you can imagine. And those are the most biggest brim you've ever seen in your life. And he turns to me and he says, I hear you don't like golf, but have you ever given it a chance? And I said to myself, I've never had a question posed to me quite like that. And I said, no, I've never given it a chance. So Freddie shows me the golf grip on a cane pole. It's the old Hogan grip, you know, where you just one finger in the palm of your hand. And he said, all right, pulling a fish. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And I ended up pulling in a fish. And that's how I got started in the golf because of Freddie Bennett. Freddie right. Bennett, the, the, the longtime caddy master at Augusta National. How many years was he at the helm here? Over 40 years. Uh, he t there was mandatory retirement at Augusta at the time. If you turned 70, you were gone. Same thing happened to the pros. Uh, both head pros were uh, there for over 40 years. Uh, Frank Carpenter, the sommelier, was there for over 40 years. And when it got 40 years for Freddie Bennett, he had to retire too. The only guy that uh, was Johnny, the bartender, I'm bartender, Lord knows, the uh, barber. He got to stay on to leave. They had a three. barber on, on yep. site at Augusta Because, uh, in fact, there's a great story about uh, Ben Crenshaw when he got to play there for the first time. And Mr. Roberts walks up and just kind of feels the back of his head and says, you know, we got a barber on premise. Why don't you go get to know him there a little bit? And Johnny uh, Johnson would, would face you down Magnolia Lane when he was cutting your hair so you couldn't see in the mirror what he was doing to you. And he would skin you like a rat. So that's why Ben Crenshaw wore a cap in his first Masters. Because he was damn near bald. <laughs> this is like in the 70s, you know, when long hair was cool. But not, not for Mr. Roberts. So he made sure that every member and guest on that property looked good when they went out on the course. That is, High and tight. Wow, that is too That's cool. Not in so, history books. So, so you talk a little about Freddie Bennett. What? And now, now, I have to preface this by saying you wrote a book about this whole experience that you had at Augusta National about being the very first white caddy at the club. 
That's well, just, just, and, and we could probably talk for hours about this, and and you know, if, but but in uh, in light of that, you know, you you have a book called Freddie and Me uh, that is, uh, if all our listeners out there on the podcast have to get this book, I read this book; it's absolutely off the charts. Uh, but but tell me the influence and how great Freddie Bennett was as a leader and and as an influencer for you in your life. That's another great question. Uh, Freddie was a quiet leadership and a quiet mentorship. He did so many things for me. Um, most of them without me realizing it until later in life. Actually, when I wrote the book, he was uh, was one of those people who would, would say, if, if you needed something or something needed to be done, he said, let me see what I could do about it. And he would find a way to get things done. And he knew more about that club than the men than, that uh, founded it, than Bobby Jones and Clifford Roberts. But Freddie was just the kindest, most generous he would do anything for anybody, and he wouldn't give up on you until you were in the grave. And there were some caddies that looked like they were walking around from the grave. And he would go get them out of jail. He brought, that's how he and my dad met. Uh, Pop was doing a free clinic down at the medical college. And, you know, certain body parts need taken care of when you've been out with certain people. And uh, <laughs> he brought him down there and get him all fixed up. Or if somebody getting a big fight, Pop and Freddie take him down there and get him all sewed back up and bring him back on the course. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Tell, tell our listeners about maybe if you have a greatest story of of being at augusta national you know maybe one of the greatest experiences because that's really what this podcast is about this is about you know we we want to get our listeners out there to to understand the stories and the really the fabric of augusta national and and the stories behind the masters essentially i have a a great story well when i was out there uh, i worked out there as a kid and Freddie, if all you had to do was mention, I'm with Freddie, or I'm coming here to see Freddie Bennett, and you could go anywhere on that golf course, anywhere in it was the clubhouse. Like the, it was like the golden ticket, right? Yep, he was the golden ticket. He absolutely was. And one of my favorite stories is uh, being a kid. And keep in mind, this is back in the age of uh, wooden drivers and uh, regular golf balls. I believe it was the Titleist 384, I think. But it probably was a range ball, knowing Freddie. But for those of you that may or may not know, there's the Bobby Jones Sundial, which is right up there by the clubhouse. And it was one afternoon, it was during closing week or appreciation week, which is the third week in May after the club closes and people that are involved with the tournament and the, the staff can come out and play each day. And Freddie comes rolling out there after not hitting a golf ball in, I don't know, 20 years, wearing bedroom slippers, doesn't even take a practice swing, and he takes this Tony Pena driver that's all scratched up like a Tomcat, and I might have been a range ball. Anyway, just tees it up, lets it fly, and one hops it onto the second green. <laughs> I saw it in my own eyes. That's about 367 yards. I've walked it off. <laughs> oh, my god! It goodness. did hit. It, when I say one hop, it did hit that access road, but he flew it onto the access road. <laughs> so, it probably carried about 320 downhill. That's, that's, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. So, so, you decided to, with all your experiences there at the club, you decided to write a book. What was the impetus behind writing the book? Uh, my wife kicking my ass and telling me to quit saying I want to be a writer when I grow up and do one. <laughs> she actually, she. Uh, she I mean, talk- the book, the book, the book actually brought me to tears. Honestly, it's it's a, it's that powerful of a message. Well, it's, I'm glad you caught that. Uh, I still, I still tear up when I read it sometimes. Um, but when I go, I go around doing talks and clubs all over the country, and I write in the book. I wonder who was your Freddie. And at the end of the talk, I asked people, I said, who was the Freddie in your life? You know, who's the person who gave you hope when you had none, who loved you when no one else did, maybe opened a door or window you thought was forever closed? And I tell the people, and I'm usually at these very highly successful clubs with these high-dollar people, and I tell them that nobody in this room got here by themselves. We all had a Freddie in our lives. 
And then I've had people just email me out of the blue or call me out of the blue and tell me, you know, after listening to you and thinking about my Freddie, I flew down to Florida and saw my old, my old coach, and he was dying. And I got to thank him for what he did for me. And I also ask people, you know, if you can't think of who your, your Freddie was, and maybe, you know, who, who could you be a Freddie for? Or even who you, you've been a Freddie to? We've all had Freddies in our lives. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's really cool. Now, have you been able to play the golf course? Actually, I was very fortunate growing up. I played it hundreds of times. I know that sounds probably pompous, but it's true. I was uh, <laughs> got to be good friends with the uh, pro's son, a kid named Steven Spencer, and mm-hmm. he was just learning how to play. And as we all know, those of you who play golf out there in Radio Land, uh, the last thing you want to do is be a fairly experienced golfer and play with a beginner. But when I realized I was going to get to play the Gus National Golf Club, I said, I don't care if he's got one arm. We're going to go. So I got to play out with Steven countless times during closing week. And that's how I got to play the Gus National a lot. And then I played, obviously played Caddy Day and things like that. I've only actually played uh, one time with a with a member. Um, I'm sorry, twice with a member. The first time I got to play, my caddy uh, was white and a rookie. He, I ended up walking him around the course all day long and teaching him how to caddy out there. In fact, my first drive ended up behind a tree, which is where I hit it. But he left it there. I said, no, no, no. Here's what you got to do. Just kick it out of the way. Give me a shot. And I walked the kid around the golf course. What when the pros play at the Masters? What is the hardest thing for them to learn in a short amount of time at the club? How many round, How many times have you been around the golf course there at Augusta National as a caddy? A caddy player combined. Thousands. Thousands. With that, with that question, it would after your question. Uh, the best answer for that would be: you do not read Augusta's greens; you remember them. I can still be on the other side of the ropes, watch, look at putts on two. They're going to break right. Everything breaks towards the pump house down on 11, but it's the back right corner of the pump house. And the, the greens do the same thing every time, and I've always been blown away that you wouldn't have a local caddy in your, in your group in the practice round to learn what's out there. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Tiger Woods did with a guy named Tommy Bennett, and his dad Earl was going to caddy for him. And he was walking around the first couple of days, and he said, ain't no way in hell I'm caddying for you, son. Tommy's caddying for you. So the first time Tiger played in the Masters, he had – local caddy on his bag even as many times as the greens have have been redone to put the sub air underneath and all that they they've brought them back to what you know them is that right that's correct they have not the the brakes have not changed i mean there's ghost brakes just like there are on any great golf course but ghost brakes are the same once you learn them you don't read them you remember them if if you're trying to read a green i'm the only person i've ever seen plum bob that knew what he was doing of course was ben crenshaw And Crenshaw, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty successful yeah. two-time, two-time Masters winner. So. He can roll a little bit, thousands of times. So, so, uh, so, so you you wrote Freddie and me, and you've got a recent book out right now. Talk about that. Yeah, it's actually called the Caddy's Cookbook: uh, Remembering Favorite Recipes from the Caddy House to the Clubhouse of Augusta National Golf Club. And I was fortunate enough to um, be privy to Freddie uh, befriending Chef Clark, who was handpicked by uh, Mr. Roberts. And Freddie would bring home pompano, by home I mean to this house, pompano, uh, crab meat, back fin, and would make crab cakes at our house. And, and we just some incredible recipe. His butter beans uh, recipes with the, in the caddy house was the best cure for a hangover I ever had. <laughs> so if you were coming in, as he said, if you've been in that oil last night and you're about to start leaking it on the course, get you some butter beans and you'll, you'll rally. And you did. <laughs> Fried pork chop sandwiches. Um, there were no hot dogs in the, in the caddy house in my day. In fact, I said, I'd like a hot dog. And Horace, the cook, said, how about a sausage dog? I said, no, I think I want a hot dog. He said, sausage dog. And he handed me a sausage dog. And I said, okay. I said, can I get a Coke? He said, how about a grape soda? And I said, sure, I'll take a grape soda. <laughs> 
Too funny. Now, now, I mean, the caddies now, I mean, the, 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 the facilities on property have, have been way more developed and advanced. And if any of our listeners out there have, have been to the Masters or have been to Augusta National, have seen, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Disney World for golf. It is so perfect in so many ways. But, but just from your experience, talk about the, the transformation from maybe when you started to present day. Well, the way it is now, and uh, I guess as I'm old school, I'm traditional. To me, the uh, personality and the charm is gone. It's uh, it's incredible. It is like Disney, but I'm, I'm, you know, I was there in a cinder block building, and it, there were no uh, walls on the bathroom, on the stall, so it was like being in prison. I remember being in there reading the newspaper, and one of the kids was, hey, Trip, how's it going? And I said, well, I'm trying to take a sh**, but it's going great, man. You know? <laughs> but that was the charm of it. The old picnic tables where you might either eat your pork chop sandwich or pass out. That was the, the Augusta National I remember. I, I grew up in the golden age where, like I said, I could be in right in the heart of the tournament. I'd work on number two. I'd get done. I'd go to Freddie's office, and I'd just walk past security, and I'd say, hey, I'm, I'm here to see Freddie. And I'd go right on in his office, and there'd be Palmer. There'd be Nicholas, and they're telling stories and talking about everything except golf to Freddie. All right. If you, had, if you had one, we'll just say the if you had a number one best story, and you know maybe it's a yeah. 1A or 1B. I'm sure you've got amazing stories, but what is the story – that, that you could tell our listeners that really would be an awesome story that maybe nobody would know about Augusta National? Okay. Uh, well, that's a tough question because I got a bunch of them. Um, it was when I was a caddy out there, and I'll take you out on the golf course, and um, I was caddying the group with Dan Marino, and uh, I was one of those kind of caddies. I would say, hi, I'm Tripp, and if he would say, I'm Mr. Marino, then that's who he was. But he said, no, it's Dan, Dan Marino. So there's Dan and Tripp, you know, hanging out. Hey, Dan, how's the Hall of Fame? Hey, Tripp, it's great. How's your apartment? You know, things are great. <laughs> And we're tooling down the fairway. It's January, getting to know each other. He's funny as hell. He's a big dude, too. He's like 6'6", six, six, and he can play. I mean, he broke 80 that day. I'll Very never forget player. it. Very, Very good, player. good player. Beautiful swing. And we're on 14, and I'm turning to him. It's a beautiful day, and the wind, breeze lightly blowing. You can see the loblolly pines blowing in the wind. And I turned to Dan, and I said, you know, it's because Dan and Tripp hanging out. And I said, Dan, could you imagine a better place to be in January than right here and right now? And Dan leans down and says, hell Yes. And I'm thinking, where could that possibly be? And I said, so where, where would that be? And he said, the Super Bowl, you dumbass. <laughs> when you live in a sh- apartment, you don't, you don't think about Super Bowls. <laughs> I've been a Dolphins fan forever, and I love the Dan Marino era. And that, yeah, that, I, you know, they haven't been to that same height. But, yeah, Dan no. Marino, that, that's a uh, He was a great dude. Special genuine, story. Genuine as he could be. Really, really cool to, under, to know that, uh, you know, great you know, uh, unbelievable athletes like that were, were so great to you and, and, when, once, and your time, right? Know, once they came in the door um, or through those pearly gates of Magnolia Lane, <laughs> it was and, – and the thing I always thought was really cool, there's so many cool things about being a caddy at Augusta, but for four and a half hours, the richest men in the world or the most powerful men in the world or the greatest athletes, Hall of Famers, they need me. Where else is that going to happen in my life? For four and a half hours, Dan Marino needed my ass. <laughs> so how many years did you what, – what was kind of your – beginning and end in your at the caddy yard at augusta national uh, it was 89 to 94 mm-hmm. and i ended up caddying quite a bit for a guy named uh david warden who was the ceo of mccann erickson up in uh in new york and after a few times of him saying hey trip what do you do with your life what are you doing out here mate on and on and he said what do you know about advertising i said man i don't know nothing about advertising he said perfect let's go i said go where and he said new york i said when he said next week and i said oh and i told freddie the story and he, I said, I'm kind of scared, Freddie. I said, I've never been to New York. He said, I'll tell you what. You get up there and you want to come home, I'll come pick you up. But right now your ass needs to leave. And I did. 
<laughs> ended up actually starting my own ad agency in Atlanta for over 20 years. I had that business. And wow. when the kids came along, I became a writer and a, a dad and a better husband, I think. Really cool. Really neat. Uh, yeah, your, your stories are great. Uh, really special. So, so where, where can our listeners get your books? Um, just there's such a powerful message, not, you know, not to mention, you know, just how great the, the stories are, but the, the message behind it. Where can, our, where can our listeners find your books? Well, they can find them on the usual suspects like the Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but uh, I would really love them to come to my website, which is tripbowden.com. That's T-R-I-P-P-B-O-W-D-E-N, like Bobby Bowden, tripbowden.com. And just uh, follow the prompts, order the books online, and I'll personalize them for you. And that means, like, if you want it to Uncle Teddy or Uncle Joey, I'll do that. And my email is tripstrickcomcast.net, two Ps, uh, to comcast.net. You can holler at me there, too. I'm open, man. My, my, my office door doesn't have a lock on it. Are you on social media? I am. Facebook, and uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, and I'm just now learning how to do that. <laughs> my kids know how to do it better than I, and I'm also on Instagram. Cool. What, what would be your, what's your handle on, the, uh, on Instagram or Twitter? What is it, Ari B? Do you know? Trip Bowden? I don't. All right. All well, right. She, she's going to find out. She's, she's, she's right. fast. I really don't. Like I said, I've just started doing this. This all modern right. technology. I, right. I, I love a Blackberry if you want to know how old I am. <laughs> I go back that far. You're right. His daughter, <laughs> what, what is your name? My name is Ari B. Bowden. <laughs> really? Yeah. You're, you are the social media yeah. guru of the family. I can't read that. So I'll, I'll that? read it. I, I can read it. I can read it. Yeah, so on uh, on Instagram, it's Trip Bowden, two P's, T R I P P Bowden, uh, on Instagram. Got so has a lot of great stories on there. You know, Trip Bowden just has a has a wonderful wonderful past, and uh, what a great connection to the Masters, to Augusta National, and uh, we couldn't be happier with ha- with having you on our podcast Honor, tonight. Honored to be and, on here. And uh, you, you've got to check him out, uh, all of our listeners out there. You've got to check. Uh, his his books out and and check him out online. So thank you, Trip, for being here. Thank and you. Uh, and uh, you know we'll uh, look forward to a great Masters. Very much looking forward to it. And I'm gonna leave you with one more thing uh, that I always think about when I think about Freddie. He used to tell me, "Don't chase your dreams, man. Catch them. Catch those dreams, y'all." Perfect, perfect story. Thank you, Trip, so thank much you. for being here on the Silver Club Podcast. Good to be here. Thank you. Honored. All right. So you never know who you're gonna find at. The pig pole here in Augusta. We are live in Augusta, Georgia, uh, on the uh, two nights before the Masters, and we have dogs, and we have everybody here. This is a beautiful, beautiful time. We are at uh, we are in Augusta, Georgia, here at our Outpost Club and Silver Club event, the Pig Pole, and we are we have gathered uh, a couple more great people to tell some great masters stories augusta national stories just everything revolving around golf we have we have the great john bannon here jb and we have jimmy petrino legendary caddy uh it does everything at uh at seminole golf club he is a uh he's a fantastic personality and we're going to get to know them right now so thank you guys for uh spending a little time with us here on the silver club podcast Hey Stevie, uh, nice to be with a fellow looper, right? Loopers. Right, Jimmy. Looper's the best. You know, so I mean, uh, you know, one of the greatest days in the world was when we would see you down there at Seminole. You know, back in the day, right? Seriously, at I the mean, Bibon? it was huge. I mean, like, here's a guy that you know took Tiger as deep as you can as take him, as far as it can go, as far as it can go. And then he sat next and to here him. he is. Oh, sorry. And then here he is, like one of us. You know, <laughs> like uh, just slugging it out, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I was fortunate to meet you, JB, down there at Seminole. I, I did caddy a couple winters down there in the early 2000s and and uh, get to hang on and wear the, wear the white jumpsuits. I know you don't wear those anymore down there, but they do wear white jumpsuits here at at Augusta National. Now, now you've played how many rounds here at Augusta National? Yeah, many. Let's go with that, you know. <laughs> fortunate, you know, uh, very fortunate. Uh, we used to come down with a man from Minnesota, uh, Mr. Gordy Ritz, and he was just a great guy. And uh, to give you an idea, like he was probably passed away when he was 76, but he was a member of Augusta when he was 37. He was the captain of the hockey team at Yale when George Bush was the captain of the baseball team. Cool. Yeah, and he used to uh, play hockey at Yale. Oh, he played hockey at Yale there, and, uh, and he was a great guy. He was a great pal through the golf, and, uh, you know, he would take us down there. He'd take us, and uh, it was a treat. It really was. I mean, the guys, he introduced us through in the game. And the people that we met in what, what, When you go down Magnolia Lane and you have many times and you've been fortunate enough to play here, what, what strikes you as so special about Augusta National? Yeah, I mean, just really like the, the history and who's played there, you know, and how they really got there to play there, you know. That's to me is like the cool part, whether it was a guy that won on a Monday the week before, which you can respect a lot. You know, or was it, uh, you know, I mean, the cool part, when we worked at the Jupiter Island Club and, and we'd go down and we heard Hogan was at Seminole and we heard he was practicing there for a month before the Masters. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, right. A month, and only a month. A month, and he was <laughs> staying with Mr. Coleman, George Coleman, right? Yeah. And, you know, and we don't have to say anything there. You know, he started the match, basically. He started the, uh, the Coleman from that. But, but, but the, excuse me, but the bottom line, Hogan would... Would would basically we'd go down there and watch him hit balls. I mean that was pretty cool, but like way back, we excuse me, and we'd watch him hit balls, and then he would come up here and play at the Palmetto, mm-hmm. where you know Doctor Bowden, you know, is a member there, and uh, that place is like a throwback jersey, you know, and and the Calcutta that they used to have there was bigger than the purse at Augusta. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was- right? I mean, no, Palmetto is great. Palmetto Golf Club over in Aiken, South Carolina. Right. Yeah, if any of our Silver Club listeners out there have have you know are into architecture, Palmetto Golf Club is is Whoa. is one of the primo places yeah. to play golf. And uh, yeah, we're just so lucky in this game to to be on so many golf courses. And and we're going to pass this over to Jimmy Petrino. Uh, Jimmy, you've been able to to spend time at Seminole Golf Club in Palm to, Beach yeah. and Juno Beach, Florida, for to be specific. But uh, you've you've gone, you know, how many rounds have you have you gone around at Seminole Golf Club? Seminole's been a long time, twenty plus years. I've been very fortunate. I worked for Jerry Pittman my first year, and I came as a you know a, a young apprentice out of the Met section, and I came down and when Mr. Pittman and and uh, Rick Milhouse offered us the job to bring in and clean out the yard and turn it over to golf pros, which is what it is now. We are a very professional program. And How many caddies are down there right we're, now? We're in the in the seventy range right now, mm-hmm. and we're working every day. And we've got five caddies that have played in majors. Yeah. But but this is okay. So 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 here's what I need to know. And and this is your busy time in the golf season. I mean the the Coleman Invitational, the 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 highbrow mid amateur 
uh, event is at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are jamming down there. Why do you come to Augusta and here to the Pig Pole? And why do you why do you come and hang out here? You know, one being a PJ member was always the easy invite. You can get the free ticket. You know, that was the reason <laughs> I first came. Right? Yeah, that's so a nice that's a nice I, perk for the PJ professional. Membership. 2006, I said, you know what? I'm going to the Masters. And, right. I, and at the time, a high school teammate of mine, J.J. Henry, played in that Masters. And I, I said, I'm, I stayed with him in a house, mm-hmm. and I watched him play his first two rounds. You know, he missed the cut. But it, nonetheless, I, I was hooked on Augusta. And I've been very fortunate with the people from Augusta to have been here several times for the tournament. Mm-hmm. The club, you know, J.B. hosts us. Jimmy Dunn hosts us. We all, he takes care of us. I mean, all these, I got ten guys sitting outside here that yeah. are all dying. Some of them first-timers. This place is Disneyland for adults. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's the greatest place on earth. And when when you have the Seminole shield on you and you see some of the Seminole guys, they treat you a little differently. They'll come over like old Buzz Taylor back, yeah. around, back oh in the God. day. He yeah. saw me, and he's on a, in a hurry, funny story, was yeah. running to go meet Mr. Palmer for a drink. Wow. And he stopped and he said, Seminole Golf Club, I know that place. And I think you caddied for me in the skins last week, Jimmy, didn't you? And, 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 and I was like, yes, sir, I did. And, and, like Legendary stuff. But then I was very fortunate enough to have come up here as a guest and play. Mm-hmm. And that changes the entire aspect of this whole place. Wow. So, 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 so just, just for people who, for our listeners of the Silver Club podcast, who have not been able to play the Augusta National Golf Club and our... Our favorite pup over here has played Augusta National, so he is so into this thing. But for, for people who haven't, talk talk to us a little about, you know, what, what does it feel like the night before you're going to play Augusta National? Scariest, what, 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 what What's thing. going through your mind? Well, I mean, very fortunate to, to have flown up, spend the day, uh, check into the butler cabin. So now, like, all right, hello. You're now, staying in the butler cabin. Pardon me, yeah. <laughs> in the Baltimore room, yeah. So we, we do the whole thing, and then you have to get out in the first tee. And I remember saying to my caddy, who actually is out here, came in to say hello. I, said, I had to step away from my first tee shot because I said, it's hard to hit a ball when you're crying. And I literally wow. walked away. And the pro took the camera from us and took a picture said, I want to take a picture of your feet. I'm like, well, what are you doing that for? He said, you're on the plaque on the first tee at Augusta. Oh, you want to see your, your feet in hollowed ground. Oh, that was really cool for That's me. And I, I played as a twosome with one Whoa. of the – and I played great. I birdied all the par fives. I had nice. A golf, but, but wow. Call the members tees. That's heady play. stuff. I'm a, I'm a medium golf pro. You know, I, I do my job. Did, did you go for the green on 13 and 15? Both of them, yeah. Yeah? And I loved it. Sweet. It just, yeah. it's, it's, it's heaven because you've hit every shot in your mind. Mm-hmm. And when you're actually doing it, it changes the whole – realm of golf and it made me love this game more than ever which is why i keep coming back here too cool too cool now 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 jb so so you you're an excellent player in your own right you get to play at a lot of great clubs around the country uh but you've had the opportunity to to be around some of these players this week that are going to vie for the the master's title uh somebody like maybe rory mcelroy Talk, talk to us, uh, you know, what, yeah. what do you think Rory's chances are this week? I mean, I like him myself, okay, and uh, <laughs> whatever that means, but I do <laughs> like him myself in a good way. And uh, that's no, you know, no, no knock on anybody else that's playing, but I just think that the way the guy's driving the golf ball today oh. and the confidence he's got now after his win you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's got it all going. I mean, he really got it all going. Uh, there's, 
you know, I, I just really fancy his chances. I really fancy his chances here this week, you know. Uh, where, where, where did he play on Sunday? Where did Rory play? Uh, I don't know the answer this to that. little place down the road called Seminole. Oh, is that was he? Yeah. With, oh, with his dad. Doesn't he play with his dad every what year? What did Hogan do before he won here? Okay, I didn't. He played it. at Seminole, right? Realize. Yeah. Ah. So Rory liked to follow uh, little Ben Hogan, yeah. and Rory go. Rory could could capture the career Grand Slam yeah. this week. Wow. What what uh, what would that mean? Wow. You know what? He is so so humble. I got to be honest. Like we had a chance to be around him, like you know, a little bit, but. You know, like last year, we stayed with him for a week out there at the AT and T, and I got to be honest with you, man. Like, I mean, he, he, I mean, he's, you know, he just, he's just grounded, solid. I mean, mm-hmm. his wife Erica is like just so cool. Mm-hmm. She gets it. Mister McElroy's like unreal, like, and he surrounds himself with like you know, like good guys that he grew up with, like you know, you know. What what do you think maybe separates him mm. from some of these other guys? Maybe Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, the other guys in his stratosphere. What do you think really? You know what? What? what how, how would you classify well, Rory I mean, in in regards to them? I, I think I'm really convinced that it. Uh, I'm really convinced that it. Like especially this year that uh, you know he 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 really uh, his mindset this year to me. Is is right where it Focus, needs to. Right? Yeah, yeah. How right. is it? How is it different from the previous years? You know what? I just think that, you know, he's not getting as upset, if you would. And I'm not speaking for him, of course. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, he knows that he can make three birdies in the next five holes if he has to. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Really needs yep. to reach down. I, that's just what I see from the outside looking mm-hmm. in. You know, uh, I think he has a different mm-hmm. mindset. I think his confidence. Uh, the whole thing has risen a little bit. Do you think, be, you know, getting married had Definitely. a big effect on Definitely. Rory? Absolutely, because she's very cool. Yeah. And he, you can tell they're happy and they get a kick out of each other. They work out together. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. it, it's like a cool situation. You know? So so yeah. maybe maybe golf isn't isn't the number one in his life right. anymore, right? Right. right? Which 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 may make him, you know, let, allow his talent to maybe come out a little bit more. Steve, you're 100% right, but, I mean, honestly. Because mm-hmm. he knows, okay, like, the world's not going to end, right? If, you know, and he's going to go home and everything's yeah. going to be pretty cool because yeah. he's who he, he's with who he wants mm-hmm. to be with and what have you. And he's surrounded by people that, you know, if you come home with the trophy, that's great. If you don't come home with the trophy, that's great too, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I like everything about him, oh, right? Too cool. I, I think uh, you know you take that story and then you combine it with what could happen to what happens if Mr. Eldrick wins. I mean, not only will the world explode, I think the golf world would explode. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. Now now I know we, we we talk. You guys are very in touch when you hang around places like Seminole and some of these great clubs that you get to hang around. And and frankly, I'm totally jealous about uh, of you both. But but the. Uh, let's talk. We I can't let you go without talking a little about the Seminole Pro member, right? That is a that is an event that just like uh, for any of the golf geeks out there, we just like we eat that up. We could talk Seminole Pro member every day, three hundred sixty five days a year, right? It's so, best of the year. so why why is that tournament, Jimmy? From your perspective, uh, what now? Tell me, tell us what you you know how you were involved in the Seminole Pro member this year and why it's so special to you. Well, many years, it's it's been 
ever since Mr. Near took it over and really brought it back from the club pros to the to the you know the Honda pros post, uh, the field is better than most PGA Tour events. We, I mean, you got Nicholas and Palmer and, and uh, Norman and. You know, when they were all around, they, 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 people made arrangements, even if they weren't playing in this tournament or the next week, to come to this event. They're not getting paid. They're there for the glory. Yeah, they're, they're not there. getting paid, right? I think a few years ago, didn't wasn't all four major champions all in attendance That's for the correct. first time in the year at the Seminole Pro Member? Not in any PGA Tour not event, one, right. but they all came to Seminole. And there's a great picture of you, you, they. they it made all the, the it, right. which is odd for us because we're not about tabloids and we're not about <laughs> pictures. But when you see a picture in Twitter right. with the jacket and right. three trophies and the players standing behind it, that was pretty cool. and yeah. you know, I've been very fortunate. I've caddied for Mr. Nicholas. I've caddied for Lanny Watkins. I've caddied mm. for uh, Johnson Wagner, my buddy JJ Henry when he played. Uh, it, I've caddied for Dan Colvin. I mean, the the way that I've caddied for everybody, and every single person is so nervous and happy to be there. You know, you look at the guys who played this year, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, mm. you, you rewind a couple of weeks before when he played with President Obama. <laughs> Hole-in-one. I mean, wow. you want to talk about something that exploded wow. the golf world. That I mean, that's not allowed to happen. And what, what what happened? Tell us. Well, basically, there was a hole-in-one on the 13th hole with President Obama and uh, uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Mr. Dunn and, and – uh, Another gentleman that was playing with him. Like Jimmy Dunn, are you talking about? Right, yes, Everybody the legendary Jimmy Dunn, president of Seminole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we grew up playing junior golf together. Boy, you really wanted to clobber him when he was younger, man. <laughs> but you couldn't beat him, so here he is, you know. I mean, class act. Absolute yeah. class act. Yeah. He's in charge of our place there, and he treats us like gold, and that's the reason that we work there is because he treats us better than his family. And you know what? We are his family, and I love that. But it's uh, starting to get off topic, but, I mean, going back to the pro member – it's the greatest event that we host, and I think that the golf world, I wish they could see this. I really hope that they can come see that, and then the Walker Cup as we're coming into 21. Ooh. It's going to be Ooh. a showcase of, I mean, the stars, the stars shined yeah. right now. I mean, you've seen the changes that we've done. And Pretty cool, right? It's, seriously, I'm very fortunate and you know, as we all are, at that we're being involved in two great places like that, and here we are at the mecca of golf. Look, Augusta National in the spring is kind of like a rite of passage. Yeah. You you have to go through here, or else the golfing uh, world doesn't feel complete. And at least in my mind, I, I know that, and and uh, I know that's why you're all here. But but uh, I'm going to let you go. But before I before I do let you go. Uh, I've got to ask you, each individual one, uh, other than Rory, because we've talked about Rory already. I know you, you've, you've got a fondness for Rory, but if there's any other player other than Rory who has a chance this week at the Masters, who might it be, JB? Well, I've got my long shot here, you know, and uh, my wife used to coordinate the World Cup golf tournament. So we had a chance really way back when to see some guys come out for the first time, like Ian Woosnam and Ernie Els, you know. And I think the long shot here could be this Cameron Smith. Okay. I mean, Australian I, Cameron yeah, Smith. Yeah, I think yeah. They might, I'm not sure, but I think they might have won the World Cup this year. Okay, all right. I'm not sure, but they, he was on fire early. Why, in the, why, why would you say him? I just like the way he plays. He's yeah. aggressive. You know, he's aggressive. He hits it long enough. Mm-hmm. He hits it high enough. And he's got a great attitude. I mean... I think he's 28, maybe. I mean, I could be. He could be. Right. I could be high there. But, all right, all right, know. all right. So and, Cameron, and, Cameron Smith, Cameron, Cameron, Smith. Cameron Smith. How about you, Jimmy? 
Okay, that's your long okay, shot. All right. I'm going to do a little laws of average. What do we have? 90 players in the field? and 87 I saw, players, and I, I think, uh, officially. That, officially, if I'm... Something like 45 of them are foreign players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go out and take... I'm going to take Tommy Fleetwood. So wow. slightly more than half. All right, Tommy Fleetwood, the the, the man with the flowing Great hair, hair, you know, beautifulish... Grace, striking. <laughs> shampoos, conditions, beautifully, you know, I he's right? Got, you know, I, Tommy Fleetwood. we rooting for a guy like Rory. We want him to... To finish the slam. As a golfer, mm-hmm. you have to root for a guy like Tiger, but I just think that laws of averages kick in. I think Fleetwood's got a chance to shoot. All right, Tommy That's Fleetwood, button with the claw. Had a, had a How about you, Steve? Whom do you like? There you go. Who do right. I like? Right. I like I, I'll pick three players. My oh, wow. three my three players really oh, would we be only got one, right? Got one. Got one, well, I'm the host here, so I get to yeah, right I, I have the okay. I, I have Fair the opportunity enough, to enough, my top three really would be would be Dustin Johnson. Bryson DeChambeau and Rory McIlroy. Wow. And Rory, I think Rory, just because of what I'm hearing in the interviews, I, I think you, like you said, piggybacking on what you said, JB, his mind is in the right yeah. point, right place. Uh, you know, he's 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 got a wonderful wife. He's uh, he, he's ready to go. Bryson DeChambeau, I think you got to be. I think you have to be brilliant. I think uh, Puppy wants Bryson DeChambeau too. So, <laughs> man, oh my God. but uh, <laughs> but Bryce, I think I think to win around Augusta National, you have to be a, a, a very brilliant. Mind, even a, a savant, and uh, Bryson DeChambeau is yeah. a, he's a total golfing savant in my mind. Very so, creative out there, so right? and and then Dustin Johnson, he is a physical freak. He mm-hmm. hits the ball nine miles. Yeah. You have to have that attribute uh, to to win at Augusta. So those are my three. Wow, very cool. Sentimentally, I, I would love to see Rory because I know he's been knocking on the door at Augusta National to win the uh, win the Career Grand Slam. I, I really, I think it's this year. I think he, this year is his year. He is, he's primed. He's ready to go. His game is on point. His mind is on point. And I think it's time for, uh, yeah. time for him to get it done. Right. And and not to get ahead of ourselves either. You know, like just the way Rory's mindset, I think, could be is like, like the Open Championship. You know, is is back home in Ireland <laughs> in Portrush, far from the house. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, like Could he's focused. No, he's focused, right? This is this is yeah. Rory's year. Could exactly. be, right? Exactly. Steve did not mention Eldrick. Oh no, he did not. He did not mention Eldrick. You know, Ty- Tiger Woods. Ty- Tiger is a. Is that because? Look, Tiger's not putting well enough to win the Masters in my mind. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that uh, that Tiger will not win the Masters. He might finish in the top ten, but. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think I think Tiger will uh, will do a great job this week. I think he'll play very well, but I don't think he will win the Masters because his putting has been subpar. That's my mind. So anyway, anyway, look, 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 John Bannon, Jimmy Petrino, we're here live in Augusta. We've got two people on the inside of golf right here. Thank you so much for joining us on the Silver Club podcast. We love you. you, We appreciate you. you. Thanks so much. Thank you. You never. Thank you very much, sis. Yeah, really. Yes. Thank you all. Thank you. We are very privileged to be sitting in the living room of Doc and Sissy Bowden here in Augusta. They've been very gracious over the years. I believe this is the 10th year of our of our Outpost Club and now our Silver Club Golfing Society, the Pig Pull here in Augusta. And uh, you've been gracious enough to open up your home for us. Uh, thank you, Doc Bowden, for, you know, for hosting us so, for all these years. Clearly our pleasure... And why do we do it would be the next question, I guess. 
I have met, we have met some of the neatest people in the world because they're bound together by that holy grail called golf. <laughs> The, the game of golf certainly brings us all together. And uh, you know, talk to us a little about uh, the, the time that you've lived in here in Augusta and how long have you lived here and, and, and all the times you spent around Augusta National and the, the, just the, the, the feeling of golf in this area. So this will go on for about the next three or four days because that's a very broad brushstroke there. <laughs> Quickly summing all those years up, because this is my 56th Masters in a row, every day I've been out there for 56 years, and that all started in uh, 1963, when if you were lucky enough to have $13.50, that $13.50 would buy you a Masters badge for the whole week. One of my... Um, medical fraternity brothers said if we buy four of those we can get a sticker on our car that'll let us drive down magnolia lane and park anywhere around the clubhouse around here and wherever the parking places are available uh which emphasizes how um few people actually had bought into the masters in that time <laughs> and uh i was a musician at the time and had played a dance job the night before so i had thirteen dollars and fifty cents times four so i was the one that bought the tickets and i got the sticker i also got on that highly sought after but rarely achieved and attained thing called the mailing list wow so i've gotten tickets ever since then uh, <laughs> 56 years huh? 56 years uh fast forward to uh 1969 and that's when I first met Freddie Bennett. And, uh, and I really, uh, the details of that uh, are probably HIPAA-related, so I won't uh, go into all of those details. Uh, but I met Freddie, and that's when he met Tripp. And Tripp is uh, uh, you know, just a little over his trip. He's uh, 10 or 11 years old, something like that then. Uh, no, no, yeah, anyway, um, Freddie and I just struck up a friendship, and it was unbelievable how we just related to each other, and it wasn't necessarily golf, but over the years, uh, Freddie would uh, become my personal patient, and I'd become his personal physician, and I would then also become the physician to all the caddies, and in doing that, uh, the Augusta National at the time allowed the pros to have guests. So that's when I first began to play, and my first round was in 1969. Hmm. And from that point on, uh, I would play 10 or 15 times a year. Then I started working out there as the starter for a thing called they call Appreciation Week when they allow – Everybody, all those people you see out there volunteering on the scoreboards, the gallery guards, and many others, they let them play one day a year uh, as part of the uh, you know, appreciation that they have for those people that have given their Fantastic. time to them. And so uh, I started there, and this will be my 50th year as a starter out there. Oh, my goodness. And so over, that, over those years, I came to know all the people, 
all the pros, the caddies, all of them. And then Tripp would get his first job out there because of Freddie as a caddy, which he would have for four years. And that would then lead to uh, his, uh, his writing Freddie and Me and uh, other books. And, uh, but from a personal point of view, uh, I said earlier, you know, the Outpost Club, it's all about relationships. And that's what's been uh, my fringe benefit for all the free medical care I gave those people for 50-some-odd years. Uh, fortunately, they were all very healthy, and none of them were ever seriously ill. Um, but I'm looking forward to many more of those. That, that that's certainly neat you've got uh, we're, and and i've have to know we're sitting in a room with some fantastic memorabilia we've got pictures of bobby jones um uh, we've got arnold palmer we've got jack nicholas ben hogan uh talk to us about over the years you obviously saw these gentlemen all play in the masters what uh, what are some of the stories maybe what what's kind of a what's a great story that you have of of watching some of the greats of the game and how they inspired you at the masters i'm going to tell you a story about arnold palmer which is not in augusta but it's at bay hill sissy and i had just been married a few weeks and we were celebrating still with friends down at Bay Hill in Florida and we were sitting in the uh, the bar after we had had a great round of golf and good stuff and so somebody says there's Arnie out on the putting green <laughs> and I said well I've been a member of Arnie's army all my life from day one that he first played here yeah so I said, I've got to go out, and I never actually met him or shook his hand. So I said, come on, sissy, let's go out there and say hello to Arnie. Well, Arnie is on the putting green. He's got about 25 putters, and he's putting away out there. So I'm standing there respectively. I'm the only person out there with sissy. He's the only, other, the only people out there. Well, he finishes that, and he starts walking across the putting green to go to his car. I said, this is my moment in time. So I said, Arnie, Joe Bowden from Augusta, Georgia. How are you? I've been a member of Arnie's Army for all these years, 58 when you first won, 60. I mean, that in 61 when that heartbreak, and I, I'm slobbering all over myself and drooling, <laughs> you know, and I, I feel I, I, afterwards I felt so sorry for him listening to me. Uh, but he and Arnie's, I mean, that guy, he, they call him charismatic. That means full of spirit, a spiritual person. I mean, he was so kind. He shook my hand. It was like shaking hands with a catcher's mitt. He had the biggest <laughs> hands. And he said, oh, he said, Joe, and I really appreciate you, you know, the support that you've given me and Augusta and all. And, and he went on and on and on. He says, well, and his, and his uh, friend that was with him said, look, Arnie, we got to go. It's dinner time. He said, got to go. I want to see you uh, in April. And, 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 and he left. And I said, Arnie, thanks so much. And thanks. Well, Standing next to me is my bride of three or four weeks. I uh, failed to introduce her to Arnie. <laughs> what inspired me then was... Maybe, uh, maybe that's a good thing. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> well, uh, well, it could be. <laughs> uh, from that point on there, 
I have uh, fl- uh, just, I mean, she has had gifts, diamonds, rubies, gold, anything <laughs> she wants. Still, after 25 years <laughs> now, still making up for that. Uh, but I mean, you talk about inspirational. Uh, and over the years, as a member of Arnie's Army, I followed every shot he ever hit at every tournament. Hmm. Uh, and then would follow him out, and he would go into the parking lot, and things were a lot more intimate in those days where all the ropes and all the guards and all that so people could get up close to the players he would go out and sit on the either the hood of his cadillac which the cadillac company would always uh, had him drive around in it's convertible of course he'd sit there and sign autographs talk to people to dark really now this wow. so the, so we this whole thing keeps coming back to uh to relationships he had um a way about him that inspired you to say okay maybe i ought to be a little bit more uh intimate and sensitive with people uh and so if that's it and i try to do that you know you can call it customer service you can call it whatever you want to but this is a this person who was the king most admired golfer ever, all of the other ones. And why was he so admired? Because he looked everybody in the eye, shook their hand, and for that one brief moment in that person's life, they were the most important thing to Arnold Palmer. Wow. Wow, that's that's special. Do you feel like you took any of that that maybe you learned from – Mr. Palmer, do you do you feel like you took any of that into your to your own life, into your own business, and and maybe you know had had the importance of each person, you know, when they you know, as as a as a personal physician to people? Did, did you feel like you you took that in your own life? Maybe. Don't think I've done as near as good a job as Arnie did. <laughs> uh, he he was charismatic and he had the gift. But I have. You're, you're not con- so. You're not so far behind. <laughs> I constantly try to remind myself in in patient care, and in this day and time, we have so many patients and so little time, to just kind of let the clock stop, for a moment, and instead of turning my back to the patient and my face to the computer screen, I do the computer screen later on, and sit there and with touch eye contact and listening so i've I've tried to incorporate that in in my in in my medical and surgical practice um i just haven't done the job that i should have done because of the say arnie just stopped he didn't care what he had to do next he stopped but it was only seconds Hmm. but and, and 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 i'm not arnie but as a surgeon and a physician I am in the same sort of the way that people look at us because we have, I hate to say it, it's not arrogant or anything, but we have their li- their lives in our hands. Yeah. And uh, to give them that moment, that's, that is so different than the way medicine is practiced now. So we, if, we, if, if, I don't know if any physicians are listening to this, but if we could practice medicine like Arnie practiced his life and his golf game with his relationship and touching people, then... Uh, I think uh, we would never have any problems at all. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. So, uh, of, of all the years of the the fifty plus years that you've 
spent in Augusta and and all the masters that you've watched is there a is there a masters that sticks out to you that's really the the one that maybe grabs you the most or the one that you remember the most 1967 Saturday the aforementioned Ben Hogan was late in his life and his career and it was just about done and I followed Hogan like I followed Palmer because these are two very special people. Palmer his charisma Mr. Hogan probably had very little charisma but he had a golf game he had a serious golf game and he was probably the best ball striker of all of these folks I've ever seen anyway that day, he has a so-so 37 on the front. And then on the back, he hits every green. And I, I, I wasn't that close on every other, all the holes. But it looked like everything was inside or around 10 to 12 feet for birdie. He shoots 30. That's it. 30 on the back nine. And he is just a few shots out of the lead going into the final round, which he, he didn't maintain. But that's also the year that Freddie Bennett called me and said, Doc, do you still have that print that you bought in Atlanta at the Peachtree Club for $3 in your house? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, it's, it's the one with Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and, and Ben Hogan on it. And I said, yeah. He says, bring it to me. It's sitting right. I'm looking at it right now. It's huh. sitting above you. Huh. Uh, and uh, it's got those three signatures that Freddie got for me. He said, Doc, that's probably going to be one of a kind. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, I've never seen that print ever uh, before or after. But to have those three uh, who did, who, who defined or redefined or golf, uh, and golfing life and life uh that's a pretty special thing i have here and uh my good buddy jim holtgreave uh world-class amateur golfer and then sort of a while senior golfer on the pro, on the pro senior tour uh has insisted that uh, that comes to him in my will and uh <laughs> i uh i don't know uh jim if you're listening to this uh uh, make me an offer. <laughs> yeah, Jim is—he's uh, on our advisory board for the Silver Club Golfing Society. Yes, so, he is. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would think he's listening. And but you, you have some tremendous memorabilia, not only in this room, but you know, scattered around your house. Is there a—is there a piece of memorabilia that you—that that you even maybe more so than the one you just mentioned? Uh, anything that you hold most dear to you? One of the things about memorabilia is uh, why is it memorable? Uh, And, yeah, you say, well, it's because of this and because of the history. Well, no, memorabilia uh, for me is what's the personal connection to it. It's not like that book we were looking at earlier that uh, was Clifford Roberts' book that very good friend of mine gave to me tonight that has it's it's signed by clifford roberts well that's now a serious part of memorabilia uh 
but you know, what what connects you to that? Uh, I I met Mr. Roberts a few times, uh, and I was scared out of my gourd every time. He was a a very uh, very uh, what aristocratic, stern person. Uh, and so, and, and he probably looked at me and said, well, "What are you doing on my golf course?" Uh, and that was a, be a good question, by the way. Uh, but I've gotten so much that I've collected uh, over the years. But I guess the one that I have that goes back about thirty or so years is a photograph when I had the opportunity to play uh, golf out there with a little Bushwood uh, Caddyshack guy named Bill Murray. (laughs) And uh, we're over on number 12T, and we lose Murray. Where is he? (laughs) And he had convinced the, uh, the groundskeeper that was mowing the grass with one of those mowers that you put around your neck and you suspend above the ground. And the story is he gave him $100 to do it. But we're looking for Murray, and we can't see him. And we, all we see is this guy mowing the grass over on 11. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's a, it's heavily sloped toward the pond. And, and somebody says, well, there's Murray over there. He's mowing the grass. <laughs> so I immediately ran over and took a picture of that. And so that memorabilia is not so much for that picture. It is for that. But it's the memory of that round where with him, I realized that this guy has made a fortune acting, but he's never acted a day in his life because he the whole whole round was it was like caddy. I mean, how many different kind of crazy movies did he make? Uh, and he's just himself. And somebody happens to have a camera going and and scenes and maybe some sort of half-baked script or something. Uh, and he had actually kind of admitted that in Caddyshack, they didn't have a script. They just ad-libbed everything. He did. <laughs> wow. Anyway, that, no, those, but I've got a lot of other, I mean, serious stuff uh, of uh, autographs and pictures of people long gone. Uh, but that one just uh, brings back the memories of uh, uh, a day at the Augusta National, not quite Bushwood, uh, with <laughs> Bill Murray. So anyway, uh, that, that, that's very special. Very special. Now, uh, another thing that's special. And before we we let you go, we can't uh, it'd be remiss if we didn't uh, include your 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 lovely wife Sissy. For many years, you have you you you've been together, and you've you've shared some great times in augusta uh talk to us you know uh, there's there's a lot of our listeners out there who if you're if you're coming out to the masters this week and and maybe coming out with your with your better half girlfriend whatever whatever it may be um what what sort of experiences have you what's something that you've cherished over the years with with your bride sissy sissy you want to take this <laughs> I think that first one's for you. <laughs> oh well, well we uh, we we special memory on the course maybe, or watching the event, or or something together that you that you that has bonded you both to the game. 
Well, the, I guess the uh, operative word here is uh, is together. Uh, we've been going out there now for 25 years. Or did we go while we were dating? I can't remember. We did. Okay, so hmm. probably 28, 29 years. Yeah. Uh, uh, every day, uh, pretty much. Uh, you've been every day. Um, and with no agenda, just go out there and... Uh, together and in, in the early days i would take her around and walk her legs off uh, so well, we've got to go over this is where uh uh jack sunk the putt in 86 on 17 and this is where this happened and that happened and all that uh, i don't know if i was boring her out of her gourd or anything like <laughs> well, she that. stuck with you though yeah, she, so. did, she did stick <laughs> she did stick uh, and you know it, it just just being together and all the and, and seeing the whole place change dramatically over that quarter of a century uh physically and the way the it's operated and everything and uh and then the last few years we've been very fortunate uh to get berkman's uh place tickets and we just so much enjoy being there and and meeting people and seeing people and uh uh, it's but it's once again. I, I think pretty much this whole conversation has been on relationships, uh, and there's there's something about being together and enjoying each other without any particular agenda. You know, we say you want to watch somebody. Now let's go over to number five and sit down. Okay, uh, you want to do now? Let's what whatever. Just and just kind of it, it's a it's a kind of a flow. I mean, when we get there, it's kind of like we're, what, uh, something, a, a leaf, a couple of leaves on top of a, a of a little creek. We flow here and we flow down there and we go over there and, uh, and we come up against a few rocks and we sit there for a while and a little bird comes along and pecks at us and we do this and we do that. Um, Nothing uh, particularly dramatic or special that I can think of, sis, mm -hmm. uh, over those years. We've seen a mm -hmm. tremendous number of great golf shots, uh, and none of which I can re actually remember at the moment. <laughs> but I, I do remember our fun times together, rain or shine. Uh, and it's just, uh, and we look forward to Masters Week like a kid does to Christmas. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so, I guess the, the final question. I'm going to let you go because I, I've 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 asked you too many questions, and I, I appreciate your time. But, but I, I think the thing that that everybody wants to know out there is, would would Augusta be Augusta without the Masters? The city itself. I mean, I I feel when I come here every year, I feel like it it. You know, it just revolves around this one week. But if if the Masters didn't exist, would Augusta exist in the same way? No. Um, it, no. But what what defines a city, a community? I get that's the basic question. And Augusta would be uh, a nice town. Uh, it would have it in, in medicine and the army at Fort Gordon uh, and the, uh, the, the Savannah River site that makes uh, atomic energy. Uh, that would all be there. But with the masters and the 
coming in in, 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 in First Masters 1934, built in 1930, it established an icon. It became an icon. It's an icon of what? What's an icon of? That would actually then translate or transcend or spill over to the place that it happens to be. It's very isolated. You can't get in there uh, unless you got a badge one week out of the year or unless you're lucky enough uh, that somebody invites you out to play or you happen to work out there. But it's what Bobby Jones had in his mind when he established the Masters. It wasn't called the Masters at first because he didn't want it to be called that because he thought that was too ostentatious. It's called the Augusta Invitational, what it was originally called. But what it, what did it become? It became an event, a sporting event. Good grief, how many sporting events are there on the planet? But a sporting event like no other in that it was absolutely devoted to 100% the comfort, enjoyment of the people who they call patrons who came out there to watch the golf, enjoy the weather, enjoy the fantastic beauty of the golf course, and have just a wonderful time with their friends and people coming in from all over the place. And it's first class everywhere. And they don't stiff you on anything. The food, the merchandise, I mean, the tickets are the most reasonably priced tickets on the planet for a sporting event of this level. So what is that all about? Well, that then the city of Augusta is the place for the Masters is played out. And so then how should our city behave itself? With class, respect, gentility, for the people that come to the city and the people that live in the city. And I think I have seen that in my lifetime, that the whole mindset of the people who live in Augusta, who have that sense of respect for each other. Now, we ain't perfect. Now, don't get me wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the fact that we have the masters there said, well, maybe we ought to behave the way they behave. And so... I I think that is actually the way things go in Augusta, Georgia, that they have taken that as a, maybe not a template. Template's not a good word. Maybe a sp- the spirit. Here it is. That's it. It's the spirit of the Augusta National, which is absolute respect for all who have a part in it and all who come to it. And, and if you've got a city that respects people and respects and their people respect each other, how can you go wrong? Well, I think the world feels that feels that hospitality and that graciousness every time every year we turn on our televisions and watch the masters and uh, Dr. Joe Bowden and Sissy Bowden, I think you embody what the, the the spirit of Augusta is, and we completely appreciate you opening up your home to us 
tonight and and talking to us about uh, all these great stories and everything. I, I think we could do this for hours on end. Uh, and sadly, there has to be an end to this podcast, but but uh, very, very fitting. And thank you so much for your kind words and your insight into what is Augusta. And uh, we, we can't thank you very uh, enough on the Silver Club podcast for being a part of it. Well, our pleasure, my pleasure uh, to to do this and to be a part of the uh, Outpost Club. Because what have we been talking about throughout this whole podcast? It's about relationships. It's about a, uh, the joy of being together with a common bond. And that common bond is this insanely crazy game called golf that we love so much. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Completely, completely so much. Uh, thank you, Doc Bowden and Sissy Bowden, for uh, being on the Silver Club podcast. Thank you so very much. Thanks. <laughs>